your money and how you spend it is telling you how you value things and experiences in the moment. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 186 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Seed Slevigan. Seed is a high-achieving 37-year-old smart-ass woman with a master's in science in finance, a bachelor's in science in financial journalism, and an executive master's in applied finance in the works. She's worked as a journalist explaining complicated things simply, like the financial crisis and gravitational waves for radio, television, and newspaper. Steve was recently diagnosed with ADHD in November of 2021, and finally, everything makes sense to her. She runs her own online business, helping people go from hopeless debt to building their net worth through ADHD-friendly money management. When she's not working, studying, or in bed with migraines, she loves spending time doing absolutely nothing with her husband and two kids and their dog and cat. Steve, welcome. And did I get all of that right? Thank you. Yes, you got all of that right. I sound awesome when you do the intro. I want you to do this every day. I just want to wake up to this like, yes, this is me. You know, I hear that from just about everybody that I interview. Again, you know, we have so many accomplishments. We typically don't celebrate them and we just go on to the next one and the next one. And so mm-hmm. I think we don't feel as successful as until someone reads our bio and then we're like, ah, I'm pretty damn good, aren't I? Yeah, exactly. And I'm so happy to be here. I absolutely love your podcast. It's been so helpful to me and I've been binge listening to it since I found the first episode in in March. And so I'm so honored to be here. And 
try and share what I know so that people can um, easily manage their finances because I know that's such a problem for ADHD brains. It totally is. And I can't wait to talk about that because in truth, if I wasn't married to a banker, I'd be in deep doo-doo. So I'm, and even though like he handles all the financial stuff, I still in the back of my head have this desire to finally be able to do like my own stuff, you know, with respect to money. So I can't wait to get into that. Before we go there, let's talk about your ADHD diagnoses first. So can you tell me what were the circumstances around being diagnosed with ADHD? Yes, I was diagnosed back in November 21, and I'd known that I had it or I thought I had it. I called it an ADHD brain for about seven years. So what got me to finally uh, see a doctor was that I have chronic migraines. And wait, wait, wait. That's Back just- up one second. So you said, did you say you read an article? Yeah, I read an article seven years ago about um, how for kids with ADHD, uh, recess can be worse than sitting in class because you feel like you're an elephant in a china shop and you try and do everything right, but everyone's angry all of the time. And it's like, how do I get in the game? How, how can I be allowed to play with others? Why don't they like me? And the harder you work, the worse it goes. So that just really hit home with me. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if this has been my problem all of the time. I wonder why that's like, why I analyze people so much and then just like adapt to their energy to try and make them like me, uh, but feel that I don't really have friends and struggle with friendships. So that made sense at that time. And I thought that I sort of forgot about it until somebody said, hey, do you know there's a link with migraines and ADHD? Maybe you should check that out. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should check that out. And then I spoke to one of my clients. She works with kids, uh, especially kids with ADHD, autism, OCD. And she said, oh my God, you have such an ADHD brain. Imagine if you were to get diagnosed officially and then to be as open about that as you are with everything else. Imagine how many people you can help. And, and honestly, that's what actually triggered it because the same day I sent an email to the doctor or several doctors and one doctor understood his clients and could see me within two weeks. So that's how it came about. So what were your symptoms? What made you think that I need to get diagnosed for this? What wasn't working or what did you want to work better? So for the number one thing is migraines because for everything else, I I sort of live in my own bubble at this point. I've realized what works for me and what doesn't. And I just adapt to to living in a bubble. That's what the doctor said. He's like, well, for the test now, you have to answer the questions as though you couldn't adapt. So you're walking through a mall, but you can't wear headphones. Uh, You have work to do and you have to do the boring stuff. You're sitting in a class and you can't walk out. Like you have to be in the boring classes. So I've adapted my life to being an ADHD friendly bubble. And so that's why I feel like it's, working for me. And like a lot of it is a strength, but I'm very classic ADHD and I have a very fierce H. So this is me thinking I'm talking slowly and, um, uh, <laughs> I'm very active, very energetic. I can tell. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I think like, it's a good thing that most of my clients meet me on zoom because in real life, this energy can be a lot. My, my husband says, you know, God rested on the seventh day. When are you going to rest? <laughs> I don't rest by sitting down. I will be more energized by like talking to you. Now I'm going to be super energized after this. So there's so many signs just from early childhood and really all of all the way. Any day with me is an ADHD test. But like, do you need a diagnosis? Is it a problem? Is it affecting your life in such a negative way that you want to go and get an actual diagnosis to get medication and get help? And for me, migraines was one of it. And and, uh, the other thing is 
just general overwhelm as you get into being a mom and there's activities and just life's getting more complicated, I think it's easier to get into overwhelm. And I wanted to see if medication could help me like stop before overwhelm. And also after seven years of higher education, I would like to be able to read a book. Hmm. So can we go back to the migraines? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because what we do know is that adults with ADHD are almost twice as likely to report migraines than those who don't have ADHD. And this is even more prevalent among women with ADHD. Yes, I have a a very special kind of migraine. It's it's genetic. So it's uh, chronic complicated migraines with aura and paralysis, which means that my migraines, if they're bad, can look like I'm having a stroke or is it epilepsy or is it a stroke or is it narcolepsy? What's going on here? Because I can actually just collapse and be look like I'm unconscious for up to an hour and a half, but I'm not. Mm. And talking to the ADHD specialist, so he's a psychiatrist, super chemist. I love talking chemistry medication with him because he's just super good at what he does. And he says that this is very typical for ADHD, this like paralysis and migraines. And his theory is that it's linked to impulsivity and that the older we get, the better we get at controlling the impulsivity, but at a cost. So rather than blurting out things before you finish that thought, maybe you don't say anything and then just tense up a little bit more. And maybe you're trying to do well and just be a good girl. And then that hyperactivity and joy and energy has to go somewhere and it ends up being tensions in the body that can lead to migraines. So that's his theory. And I think it's a really good theory. So it's that what causes migraines in his point of view is that we just get so good at masking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's the, um, when we're trying to, so what you resist persists. So it's the resisting of the impulsivity. So his idea is that with medication, we want to see if I can have less impulsivity, but without having to try and restrict it or resist it. And that that can lead to less migraines. And that is actually working. It's not a completely solved puzzle yet, but I'm, I'm definitely feeling what he's saying. And I can feel that, for instance, living in a pain-free body, that's one of the first things I noticed that since starting medication, I had several months of not going to see any kind of physical therapy, which is unheard of for me. I've been doing that since I was 13 years old. I just wake up in pain, but then I take my medication and 30 minutes later, I'm pain-free. And that of course impacts migraines enormously because it's it's in the nervous system. So as long as you're in chronic pain, you're going to have the migraines. But the medications for me with, with ADHD has helped me so much with not having so much physical pain in my body. And that's just, uh, it's nirvana. Because it calms your nervous system? Yeah, I think it does that. I think it... Um, I think maybe it slows the brain down. I think that's the, um, yeah, that makes sense because (laughs) my medication has run out today, which is why I'm talking faster again, because you can actually see me slowing down and Mm -hmm. thinking like, like I want to say yes to everything. So maybe I'm talking to someone and we're coming up with a plan for them. And really it's just a coffee date, but I totally know how we're going to build our business. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm just in the moment, super energized, that's great. But then this voice in my head says, so if you just want to note this down, you can email me and then I will put it into a nice little Canva plan for you and send it back to you. And that's where I need the medication to be like, ding, 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 ding. No, we're not doing that. You're super Mm -hmm. excited now, but you're not going to want to send them an email later. You hate email. 
Let's not <laughs> say that we're going to send the email. And if I can do that, if I can stop myself before I say yes to things that will stress me out later, that's going to make a huge impact. That is so interesting and it makes perfect sense. So what our lovely listeners don't know is that we recorded probably 25 minutes of this podcast only to discover that for whatever reason, Zencaster was not recording. So we had to start over. And we were talking about the nervous system. And what was the term, Steve, that I used that you didn't like? I didn't say hypersensitive nervous system. What was the term I used? I think high sensitive. I don't know. Is that highly sensitive. In English as well? Like, highly sensitive. Yeah. Okay. So I, I use yeah, the so term. I, Highly sensitive nervous system. And you said, I don't like that. I no. like super sensitive. And I think that was such a brilliant shift in words. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I don't even call it super sensitive. I call it super senses. We have a super brain. Ah, okay. So it's super alert. It's super everything. My brain picks up when there's something wrong with the car way faster than Tesla's computer. <laughs> not joking. I kept going back to them. I'm like, it's not working. Well, what's wrong with the car? It's brain. Everything is wrong with it. And I kept telling them like, no, no, the computer would have picked up on it. Little girl, listen, we know about the car. You don't know about the car. It took a year. And I came back and I was so angry. I'm like, you're going to give me a refund for this car. And then they had a new person in customer service, a woman. I think they finally realized that let's not keep mansplaining people's cars to them. And she's like, yeah, so we changed the entire brain of the car. It was shit. Really? And the minute I drove out from the parking lot, I'm like, yes, this is different. So we have super senses. Okay, so now, I, have you, to, I have to ask you a follow-up question. Would you buy another Tesla, um, given your experience? I would like to try the new version uh, because this, the, the one that we have now is a bit, is a bit large for me. But I, I f- I'm very sad that when companies scale, they seem to think that they can cut costs on customer service. Yeah, I agree. Because research shows that Customers who've had trouble, but then feel like they've been helped in a good way, they're actually more happy than a customer who's mm-hmm. never had a problem. Yep. And what annoys me with the car is not that there are problems. I expect that. I'm 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 investing in what I think is is part of the solution to move to a more sustainable society where where there's not going to be any diesel-powered cars or, or gas-powered cars. Everything's going to be electric. And I'm just waiting to be able to charge it using solar power. But when I have a problem. I need to be listened to. People actually don't need to be be heard. They need to feel heard. Yeah. And that's been such a change in their customer service because we uh, had our first Tesla in 2014. And it's very different now than it used to be. So it's not even about the cars. It's more about the people. And uh, I keep, whenever I'm angry at Tesla, I to keep writing on this email that I never send. And uh, <laughs> I was so angry that day. And I'm like, listen, if, if you don't fix this right now, I am going to be your new head of customer service globally. And this is what we're going to be doing <laughs> because this is just ridiculous. And that's probably also the, the um, ADHD uh, thing. Actually, the second time I went to see the doctor about ADHD, the Tesla broke down. There was a glo- global whatever, of the Tesla app and also our cellular network for our um, the, the one that we use. So the car just like died in the parking garage while it was not parked. So it was blocking half of the space. And oh. I just went outside to see like, what's going on here? And then the door shut automatically. Oh my And God. I was locked out of the car. Yeah, I've heard so of this. The only thing I had was my phone and the car was dead and it was not connecting to anything. I didn't have my wallet, didn't have anything. So the first time I came to see the doctor, I was very calm because I can mask. You will not know if I have ADHD unless I want you to. 
And he's like, okay, you definitely have it, but where is it? Where is your H? Because I know you have a very fierce H. Where is it? And I'm just going to hold it very tightly. Um, but then the second time, I was in overwhelm because I was so pissed at that car. For once, I was on time. I'd even had time to get coffee. And then the car just breaks down and suddenly I'm 10 minutes late. So he's like, oh, there you are. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I, I guess I wouldn't have known unless it was for the car. I think Elon needs to get off Twitter and fix his cars. Myself. Get off Twitter and start talking to your customers. They know what's going on. They're, they're testing every day for you. I know. And we digress. But hey, ADHD brain. Okay. So you... Um, so super senses. Super senses. I hear the term high sensitive a lot. And like, is ADHD even a disorder? I think yes, because of society, because of the world that we live in right now, we should be respectful of the fact that it does limit us and it does feel mm -hmm. like living life on hard mode. And if you have very super senses, that can feel like a sensitivity, like you're, like you're high sensitive and the world is just painful to be in. I feel sometimes that my spirit is like this whole physical manifestation on earth. Why, why did we do that? Who thought of that as a good idea? Why? Because it's, it impacts us so much. But high sensitive to me, that wording is sort of negative. It's not a neutral word to me. It has sort of negative emotion attached to it automatically. It has, to me, it feels victim-y. And I don't like, I don't like feeling like a victim. I don't like victim mentality. Even if I'm in the fight and I'm losing, I don't want to feel like a victim. So I was thinking about my dog, and I know you had a dog trainer on recently. And my dog is very good hearing. So if I take my headphones and I put them on his head and I blast Skunk Anansi, my favorite you know, hard rock punk rock from my teenage years, I'm not surprised that he's startled. I'm not like, ugh, listen, you need to train my dog. He's too high sensitive. And I don't spray my kitchen off full of perfume, like room scent uh, right next to his food and then be surprised he doesn't want to eat it. I don't ask a dog trainer to fix him because he's too sensitive. So it's, it's like the negative connotation that I don't like. We have super senses. Research shows we do pick up on light way faster. We talk faster because our brains work faster. We can smell better very often. And what is with the labels on clothes? I cannot, I just cannot. Half of my clothes have holes in them because I have these special thing to get them off the labels. But, but it's impossible because it's sewn into the material and mm -hmm. I have to make a hole to get it off. But I'd rather have a hole than have that label. But wow. is it high sensitive or is it super senses? Is it part of our super brain? Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, Steve, tell us what you were like as a child. I think this summarizes it. So we're in a restaurant. I think I'm about two or three years old. And the waiter comes up to my mom and he says, excuse me, ma'am, is that your daughter standing in our goldfish pond? My mother doesn't need to look up. She doesn't need to look who's standing there. She's like, yeah, that sounds about right. So she comes over. I, I'm sure she's a little bit annoyed and a little bit embarrassed, but she she wasn't yelling or anything. I was very I was very good at picking my parents. They've been absolutely amazing. But I can see that she's irritated, like not happy, not condoning this behavior. And then the waiter seems upset. And I'm just looking at them. I'm like, what's wrong? Look at me. I did well. I, I pulled up my sleeves. So I don't think I've done anything wrong. And I'm not noticing or 
bothered by the fact that I'm standing with water up to my knees. And so, of course, my shoes and pants and everything are wet because I did well. I picked, I pulled up the sleeves of my shirt uh, and I'm looking at the fish and we're very happy. At least I am. I don't know about the fish. And that's really how it felt like growing up. Like everyone was angry all of the time. They were so disappointed all of the time. They, it's like they thought my intention was to act bad and be a problem. We even have a term for that in the region, problem child. That was me, the problem child. Spent a lot of time in guidance counselors in school and even in preschool and in kindergarten. I'd have like these special programs and, and angry adults, but not from intention. My intentions were good. I wanted to do well and be well and be kind to others. I just couldn't figure it out. Were you an only child? No, my sister's 10 years older and she's quite the opposite of me. I think it's uh, funny how we can have two kids yes. and they're like completely different. So I'm the very outgoing type. I think that will surprise you a lot. <laughs> Whereas my sister is more of the quiet type. So my parents uh -huh. were used to my sister. You could put her in a sandbox and she would just play until you asked her to move. Me, you couldn't even put me down. By the time my feet hit the ground, I was gone. So if you took my sister to the beach, uh, she would just sit and play nicely with her sandcastle and be happy and you could rest. Me, you could be watching me with like, like a hawk. And you'd blink and I'd be gone. And my mother knew this. So on our first trip to uh, on vacation, she, she was really worried. She was worried I was going to get kidnapped or just like disappear. So she had dreams that somebody would come along, they would pick me up on a camel and I would just be gone. And then she blinked and I was gone. I just disappeared on the beach, two years old. And they found me and I was sitting with my new friends. I was like, hey, there you are. Look at me. I'm here with my new best friends. And they happened to be the Swedish national team of downhill skiing. <laughs> How old were you then? Uh, two or three years old. Oh, my gosh. Still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's You're the so kind of kid I would have gotten one of those leashes, you know, the harnesses. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's like they didn't have those uh, back in the day in the mm -hmm. 90s. But I think uh, 80s, 90s. But I think that's one of the things my parents thought about, like, should we put should we build like a bubble or a glass cage and, and keep her in there? Or do we want to let her run free and trust that if we love her and we teach her our values and we're just going to trust that that's going to develop some internal compass and she will be fine. And, and they chose to just let me be free. And, you know, we live in a very safe country, so that's it's much easier maybe than it would be in the U.S. But they let me be me and, and they never told me that there was anything wrong with me or that I should be different. And I'm so grateful for that. So, so I got they to never, the world. whereas you may have been beaten up, you know, outside, I don't know, we'll mm -hmm. talk about teachers, school, whatever, other kids at home, your parents, they always sided with you. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I think, I think a lot of parents, if you have kids that are special in any way or different in any way, so it could be like ADHD or autism or Tourette's or OCD, or just like nothing specific. It's just, it's hard for them to find friendships and find a belonging in the world. What I want you to know is that we will be okay so long as we know that you love us and you will never stop fighting. So My true. parents never gave up. Yeah. They kept going back to the school. They kept, they never gave up. They, they never gave up. Did they see your brilliance? I mean, they must have yeah. because it sounds like you were a very curious child and you were probably yeah. very chatty. <laughs> very chatty. So if, if somebody rang the door, I had to talk to them. Uh -huh. And if if, I, if they didn't seem interested, I would make something up. So I'd be like, I got a new doll today. 
And I would just be watching them like, are you, are you intrigued by this story? No. I fell down the stairs coming down to open the door to you. Aww. Yes, I'm okay. Thank you for caring. And I just keep talking to them. So I was very curious and, and wanted to discover. I wanted to learn by exploring. That's how kids learn, by exploring and testing things. You know, when your toddler's throwing his cup onto the floor for the 15th time, he's not being defiant. He's doing research. <laughs> you know, with research, we have to check, is it valid? Are we testing what we think we're, valid? we're testing? And is it reliable? Can we get the same results again and again? So he's like, this gravity thing, let me see. Number 14, yes, it hits the ground. Let's see, number 15, still hits the ground. Another 999 times to go to make sure that uh, indeed we do have gravity on Earth. That's how kids like to learn, but it was not appreciated in school. So were you a good student? I have been since I was about 11 years old, but I was not in, in public school. Uh, my teacher uh, did not like me. She felt I was a problem child. She said so. Oh. And uh, she didn't think I was very smart. So my mother tried to say that she has- Okay, so what uh, grade or what? how old would you have been? So from first grade to uh, through fifth grade, so it'd be from like seven to, uh, through 11. Okay. I switched schools uh, the summer before I turned 12. Okay. So, and that's so when those first problems started happening? No, so the first five years of elementary school were really hard for me. Uh, I, it wasn't easy in kindergarten or preschool, but it was more free. And as long as it's free, then then I can explore and be happy. But the strict rules, if you have to sit still and you have to learn this way and your handwriting has to look like this and you have to draw your J's going from there to there in this pattern, that's not for me. And so it was not appreciated that I asked so many questions and that I questioned the methodology and that I wanted to be curious when we had a new topic. So I think I was just seen as being defiant and um, disobedient and a disturbance and also mm. not very bright, according to my teacher. So my mother said, I think she has a head for numbers. I think she's good at math. She's been counting things since she was very, very young. And my teacher's response was, well, I haven't seen that. Oh, so she had nothing positive to say. Like literally nothing. I wish I was making this up, but I, I, my parents never gave up. So at one point, my father taught me actually how to fight, how to defend myself, which has been very useful. That's when I Wait, stopped like being a physically victim. fight yeah. or like yeah. verbally, physically because because oh. it was such a violent school. Oh, so seeing as how the school was not able to stop the violence and and didn't seem to care, and the parents of the bullies didn't seem to care either. And, and you develop a culture, right? It's a leadership problem. And, and I know that there are parents listening now who will identify with this, who will have children that are being bullied either verbally or digitally or physically, and they're fighting and fighting and fighting and they're just not being heard. I know this is still a problem, no matter which country in the world you live in. Uh, and also, do the parents care? Like, what sort of culture is it among the parents in that class? So one thing my father did was to teach me how to fight so I could defend myself. That's very useful. That's when... Since that day, the first time I was able to actually get ahead in a fight and, and win, since that day, I've never been a victim. I've always been the strongest person in the room. It's one of the most valuable things I've ever learned. And then they researched, how can we find a different life for you? You can't stay here forever. This is not sustainable. You're going to get killed. <laughs> yeah, or kill myself, which is, which is like oh. a huge risk factor for people yes. with ADHD. Yes. And if you're right. constantly being told by adults and by the kids, like nobody likes you. No mm. one is ever going to love you. What's wrong with you? Mm. When that's all you ever hear, it affects you. It literally creates trauma in the brain. Mm -hmm. And the definition of trauma is it changes the landscape of our brain so that we're actually different. 
Absolutely. And, and when you hear it repeatedly over time, of course, it's going to impact. So they decided to try and switch schools. And we ended up, uh, I didn't want to go to religious school. We're not a religious family. So that left us with international school. And my mother also thought I had an ear for languages. So when mm. you combine math and, and music, yep. you get language. <laughs> yep, you do. Uh, and uh, I picked up my languages really quickly. So she thought I could, could uh, manage at an English school. And my teacher said, no, you will ruin her life if you try and uh, change schools. That school is way too demanding academically. She's not smart enough. She's not oh, going to be able to keep up. So the, the school's guidance counselor stopped my sister. My sister's 10 years older. So she would have been like 21 at the time. Stopped her in the grocery store and said that my parents were ruining my life. Oh, my gosh. This teacher school, needs to not ever be able to teach again. Yeah, yeah. The whole school, right? Because it's a culture. There's, there's, a, there's management in the school that mm -hmm. creates a culture. And then they hire people who agree with that yeah, culture. Well, and then it just way develops. Way. Yeah. And so you get, get a whole culture around it. And in the international school, they asked for some sort of assessment, like what what kind of a student is she? And my teacher responded that I was such a problem child that she couldn't even make an assessment. Oh my, I'm so sorry about that, Steve. I just yeah, so when I then came to an international school, my parents were like, uh, "Okay, this is going to be great. It's not going to be different because why would it be?" So they so came to the first. Can I ask you? Did you have any friends in the public school? I did for a while, for a while, but what what keeps happening for me with friendships is suddenly people don't want to be my friend anymore, and I don't understand what happened. That's mm. one of the most painful experiences of my childhood. Is I want to play with the others. Why don't they want to play with me? Yeah, the elephant in the china shop. Yeah, that you were yeah. talking about. Yeah, that's that's exactly the feeling I had. Is is. What's happening here? Why Why am I suddenly out in the cold again? I, I don't understand. I'm not fitting in. Why? So I, I had friends, but and I had one good friend, but, but friendships were really hard for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but coming to the international school at the first parent-teacher conference, my parents were like, yay, they were expecting, you know, to be told that they had the worst child in the class and I was such a problem. So they asked the teacher, they're like, yes, yeah, so uh, is she very difficult? Is she very disturbing in the class? And uh, the teacher replied, oh, you know, she's demanding, but no more demanding than the other students. Mm. So I was still the same person, but the expectations had been changed in the sense that at international school, they expected us to be smart. Yes. They expected us to do our best. They weren't holding us accountable. They taught us to be accountable to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do well. I loved learning there. I loved spending hours on my homework. I'd never loved school like that. And I would run off from class in, in the public school and be yelled at and be told why there was something wrong with me and that it needed to change. And then the same thing happened in international school. I think it was maybe like 13, 14 years old at that time. So I was older. I ran out. I went into the stairs and sat down crying. And my favorite teacher gave me a uh, space and then she came out after a while and she sat down next to me. She put her hand around me and she said, you're one of my favorite students, you know. Oh, wow. People meet our expectations, particularly children. Be mindful of your expectations to children because they will live up to them, particularly your negative expectations, your expectation of their lowest, your... Oh. Expectations they aren't meeting, so you feel that it's necessary to critique them or to tough love them. 
and what you give focus to will grow. Absolutely. It's, yeah, environment is so important. Yeah. So if you think about those two experiences being such a problem that it's not possible to even give me an assessment, or you're one of my favorite students, you know. Yeah. Who does that person become? What happens to that child? How does that brain develop? Well, they always say that with an ADHD brain, all we need is one adult that truly believes in us. And for you, it was your parents, but then also, you know, one teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So there's Mrs. Burkow who came out and said, you're one of my favorites. And she's so knowledgeable and so warm and safe. Mm -hmm. And you know how some adults can have natural authority. They don't have to assert themselves. Yes. They just have natural authority because they feel secure in themselves. And so they can just be that safety. They can create safety and neutral space in the room. So the child feels safe. She had that power. And another one of those teachers was Mrs. Mearson. She had the same power. She was my science and math teacher, which is so influential as to why I went in that direction. And 10 years after leaving school, I walked into a store and I instantly felt safe. And I was like, that's weird. What's going on? Why do I suddenly feel safe? And then I smelled it. It was her perfume. Uh. 10 years later, completely different location. The scent of her was enough to create instant safety within me. Yeah. I think that we are such authentic beings that, and I, I see this in my son every day, if he doesn't really respect who he's working for or, you know, the, the teacher or professor who he's in, a student in their class, he really, really struggles. But if he respects that person, the sky's the limit. Yeah. We can't I just had the same experience with, with my son. He does not have an ADHD diagnosis, but he's very much like me. He's extremely brilliant and bright and caring, but he you can't just tell him what to do and expect him to do it just because you said it. Yeah. So he had a teacher last year and he was getting in trouble all of the time for talking and, and being the class clown. And I asked him about it and he said, well, she obviously didn't like me. I didn't feel like I was learning anything. And I'm thinking about becoming a stand-up comedian. So I figured this was a good chance to practice and test out my audience. And, you know, the kids are laughing. Most of the teachers are laughing. So I think I'm good. I've often, he got an- said, <laughs> I've often said that um, my son was a barometer for good teachers. Exactly. Because the next year he got a new teacher and he's like, I mean, this teacher, I want to give him an award. I want to give him all the money in the world. He's absolutely amazing. Like if you're wondering what to do, ask yourself, what would Inga do? That's the answer. Uh-huh. He has this natural authority and he's mm-hmm. curious. He's he's not looking at like, I hate tough love. It's such a stupid right. way Power, of saying things. Right? Like, but like the toughness of love. Love isn't tough. Love is flexible. Mm-hmm. Love is safe. Love is warm. Love is compassion. And if you have enough of that, you don't actually need the tough part ahead of it. So he doesn't look at behavior and go, well, we love you, but your behavior isn't good. You can come join the class if you change your behavior. (laughs) He's just curious. He's like, what's going on here? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And so all of those noisy boys, they're no longer having their name written on the board and being told that they're doing bad and that they need to like calm down and not be such a disturbance. Mm -hmm. They're learning and they're loving learning. So coming back to that uh, parent-teacher conference, uh, we were like, or my son was worried because he didn't want to be told that he was not a good student, right? He didn't. He wanted to do well for that teacher because he respected him. And the teacher said, he's a joy. He's such a joy to have in my class. 
There's nothing wrong with the kids. No. And the more you feel you need tough in love, it's because you're lacking in the love. You're lacking in the safety, the neutral space, and and, and just the curiosity. Yeah. Behavior is always needs. It's always, what's my need that's not being met? What's the emotional state where I'm not feeling safe? It's not good or bad behavior. There's just behavior. It's information. I always say that every relationship is about either power or connection. Yeah. And connection really is, I mean, you need that in any kind of relationship that's worth anything. Certainly for our ADHD brains, we just can't fake it. No, exactly. I'm curious, what has changed since you were diagnosed? I think I've developed an even deeper level of acceptance for who I am and what I need. So I cannot have flickering lights anywhere. And that's okay. I love recycling because I like the environment and sustainability is so important to me. But I can't have uh, like the plastic recycling that we've had meat in. That cannot be in my kitchen because that smell will make me not eat for days. <clears throat> so whatever I need of like physical surroundings is okay. And I know that if I get into overwhelm, I won't be able to do my best. I won't be able to perform at my level. That's when I'm not going to meet my potential. So I have acceptance for that and that whenever I'm not able to do anything or perform or if I'm procrastinating, there's always a good reason. So looking at what's the need that's behind this behavior. And I think that has given me peace at just a new level. I felt I was doing well before, but there's always another level, another level of ice melting, of of like painful ice melting is what I call it. You have this through thread in everything you talk about that seems to be all about curiosity. Mm -hmm. Whether it's curiosity, you know, that you're curious about outside things versus you're curious internally, like, well, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think, I think that's the best, best, like if you, if you, if you could pick emotions off a silver platter, what would you pick? And curiosity is my number one. Because curiosity and anxiety cannot be present at the same time. And whenever someone's angry or sad or upset, if I choose to be curious instead of responding with anger, then we can come to some sort of resolution. If I'm not figuring something else, curiosity is the best way to move forward. So I think it's the most useful emotion. I couldn't agree more. I just absolutely love that. You are so interesting to talk to that we have literally gone for I don't even know how many minutes and we haven't even talked about the reason that you're here. So you love money. I want to know why. I'm an economist. So economists are sort of like researchers in human behavior. It's just we really love numbers. So we put numbers on anything. So your money and how you spend it is telling you how you value things and experiences in the moment. It's not the intrinsic value. So let's say, what's the value of, let's say I was able to do a coaching call with you. What's the value of that? No, it's not the intrinsic value. It's the value to me in the moment. Mm. And so it's a really useful way for us to say how we value resources. And economics as, as a science field is the optimal way to use resources. Resources on the planet are scarce. 
time is for people who believe in that. Apparently, it, it can't be used twice. The same minute can't be used twice. I don't agree, but for people who believe in time, that's a thing. How can we use it so that we get the most value for whatever effort we're putting in or for whatever amount of resources we're using? And to me, that's just a, a fantastic field for no matter what you want to do. You, you can use economics for good or for, or for bad. And what I've seen is that if you want to make changes to your life, if you're looking at how you're spending your money, it's telling you so much about how you're feeling and about what you're desiring and how those desires are not being met. So I'm curious, Steve, did you ever struggle with money or does this just come naturally to you? Was it always easy? I think I grew up with my, with the parents who ran businesses and and uh, do well with did well with money. So my father was excellent at sales, and my mother is really good with bookkeeping and making sure everything's in line. So I think having both of that was was good. And I did well with money in the sense that I might have spent it. I didn't necessarily save very much, but I didn't go into debt until mm-hmm. I moved to back to my hometown and I got a new job. And I had to move houses and everything. And that was a big expense before my first paycheck came in. And moving back to the city, there was so much more I could spend money on, so much more fun things to do. So then suddenly I had accumulated about $5,000 in credit card debt. And it was so hard to pay it off. I just, it's the whole thing about saving money for a rainy day Mm. is so boring. Well, for our ADHD brains, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if you give up all of your lattes for now and forever, you might <laughs> or might not have an extra couple of dollars as a pensioner when you retire in maybe 40 years or maybe never because maybe <laughs> the plan is broken by then. Good deal? My brain is like, no, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. So I, I use the same tools, right? Like excitement and fun. What if you can make it fun? And what it's really about is using our ADHD brains to find desire. What's something I desire and how can I use that to add curiosity so that I want to make a change. So when you say that, um, connecting to desire, are you saying what you're connecting to is an intention of what you want your life to look like? Yes. Okay. So I think that the trouble, I heard one, one expert saying that ADHD is really time blindness. So it's, it's the fact that we're all, there's time is now and not now. Yeah. So I have my money now. Mm-hmm. I didn't have them yesterday because yesterday was not payday. So I had absolutely no money yesterday. Today's payday. I have money now. Who cares about tomorrow? Right. So, so it's about creating this bridge. Too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Everything's fine. So it's about cr- may- being able to bridge the gap between now and the now that's coming later. It will okay. be now, later. So to, to make it less painful later and also more joyful and safe. I love how you, I mean, I always say, actually, I think I stole this from Dr. Christine Lee, the procrastination coach. We need to feel good in order to do well. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she said. Maybe I've taken it yeah. and created yeah. my, own, um, uh, my own phrase around it. But I love, because it's so true, if we don't feel good, we can't really do anything. Yeah. So I love that you put positive emotion around something that Many of us, if not most of us, feel a lot of negative emotion around, which is money, because we tend to not be good with it. Exactly. I grew up hearing the, the saying that when you know better, you do better. 
And everyone with ADHD is like, that is not true. I know all the things. That part of my brain that knows the things, it knows the things. <laughs> it's just the doing of the things that's not happening. So what I think is when we feel better, we do better. Yeah. So if you know that, or if you're told that you're bad with money, the thought, I'm so bad with money, will continue to produce that result again and again and again and again. Absolutely. So what makes you different from others in the area of managing money? What do you do that makes it fun? I pretty much say the opposite. I pretty much say the opposite. So I love being uh, on podcasts and doing interviews. And if, if, if I'm doing like newspaper interviews, the number one thing I will not allow them to quote me on is should. Like we're not mm -hmm. going to should on people. Mm -hmm. Should is the most useful word, like useless word ever. So, well, there are some things you just have to do. And there are things you should do. And then if there's time left in your life or money or energy or anything, then maybe you can get around to what you want to do. Mm. And that's just so silly because we do what we want to do in the moment. So figuring out what I'm doing right now, why is that serving me somehow? It doesn't feel like it's serving me because I'm broke and I didn't pay rent and they're calling me about bills I haven't paid. It doesn't feel like it's serving me. But there's something about it. It's giving you something. It's giving you some advantage. So let's find out what that is. Be aware of it. And once we have awareness, we can simply move that joy to something else. So if you try and change a habit and you're going to like, I'm going to stop drinking coffee. Okay. What are you going to replace the coffee with? Nothing. I'm going to replace it with willpower and beating myself up and tough love and accountability and self-discipline and maybe an app or something. It's like, well, you're exhausted before you've started. If you just remove a habit and you don't replace it with something else, there's a vacuum. It's not sustainable. You're going to be stuck in like incongruence and the brain is like, this is not working. We're going to go back to what was working. So I think I don't say that you have to stop smoking or that you have to change or that you should do anything at all. I'm just asking you to find awareness. And if you're going to plan your money, if I tell you, Tracy, that you're going to plan your money today for the next 40 years, do you want to do it? No. I don't <laughs> want to do it for the next four days. <laughs> I know. We're going to sit down and we're going to create your monthly budget and we're going to put it in an app and then you just have to do it. You just mm -hmm. have to be disciplined and work harder. No, we don't want to do that. So, but what about if you could plan for one day? So would you be willing to, tonight, before you go to bed, write down what you're going to spend money on tomorrow? Just for tomorrow. So what you're saying is that, oh my gosh, I just had a, like a light bulb. So I'm really big around, I never, I, I could never use planners. But for mm -hmm. the last three plus years, I, you know, discovered a, a planner or a method of planning and then created a planner around it where on Saturday mornings, I get up and first thing I do is I plan my week. And it's so mm -hmm. simple and it makes me feel so good when it's done. And then it makes me feel so good on Monday that I do it. And so you're basically saying the same thing, but about planning money and yes, you're just doing it for the next day. Yes, but just for the next day. Okay. And because, so let's say that you sit down and you write down what you want to spend money on tomorrow. You make that plan today. Tomorrow, you go to the shop and you have a very specified shopping list. So it doesn't say dinner. 
And it doesn't say clothes or stuff for school. It's very specific. It's like, I'm going to need three pairs of socks, one pair of jeans. And for dinner, we're having exactly this and we need exactly this. And the goal that day is to follow the plan exactly. And the reason is because you're keeping your brain focused on that. Yeah. So it's much less likely to be distracted by everything else in the shop. Because it's working on following that list exactly. Well, and then you feel so good when you've done it. Yes. But then you, get the you come to the register. Right? Yes. Yes. But then you're standing in line. Okay. And that's where they keep the chocolate. Uh-huh. And maybe you're tired and you're like, I could really use a little bit of energy right now. It's just the chocolate. It's just the chocolate. I hate this money person. What? I'm not, I'm not allowed to, to, to enjoy a chocolate. Like a chocolate is going to ruin my life. And then you're going to want to buy the chocolate. And if I told you, you can buy a chocolate next month or maybe in 30 years when you retire, you'd be like, duck it. I'm not doing this plan. <laughs> but that's when you have a thought ready because thoughts are the recipe of our brains. It's the actual programming that goes into our brain. So I've planned for this. I knew it was coming. I've been the queen of impulse shopping. I'm not surprised. So I've prepared for this and I can think, yeah, I want that chocolate. It's just not on my shopping list today, so it can wait until tomorrow. And what's the difference of saying it can wait till retirement or it can wait until tomorrow? Because tonight you can put it on your list, right? For exactly. the next day. Yep. And because we're so impulsive, we will have forgotten about the chocolate tomorrow. Right. But that control that you exhibit over, and you probably hate that I use the word control, but yes, what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> you make this choice and it feels really good that you made the choice and then you stuck with it. Yes. And it's not about doing well. It's not about being accomplished. So you don't punish yourself for buying the chocolate. Mm. But every time you don't, because the chocolate is a reward, the chocolate is going to give you dopamine. We know that there are actually going to be brain chemicals firing that make you happy in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so if we just remove that joy, if we remove that reward and we give you nothing except maybe retirement in 30 years, <laughs> that's not going to be enough for the brain. It's not, nor it's not enough for neurotypical brain. It certainly isn't enough for an ADHD brain. So we just, we just move the reward. Rather than getting the reward chocolate, you reward yourself with impulse saving. So every single time you manage to not impulse shop in the moment, you impulse save in the moment. So and you take does, the- What does that look like? It looks like you take the exact same amount of money. So if you were about to spend $2 on chocolate, you transfer $2 to your bank account in that moment while mm -hmm. you're still standing in line uh, waiting to pay for your groceries. Because what happens then is you're rewarding your brain for what you want it to do. You're rewarding it for saving. And then you're getting a dopamine kick from saving rather than getting that dopamine hit from eating a chocolate. And the brain wants immediate rewards. It wants immediate gratification. But it's our reptile brains, like our primitive brains that want this. It's not that smart. It's, gonna, it's not going to take very long for you to switch that reward from chocolate or shopping to saving. So long as you do it in a joyful way and don't save for retirement on your first day. Like wait for that for later. That's advanced stuff. Save for something you truly want. The manicure you think you don't can't afford. The dress or purse you really want, but you know, can't spend money like that. Going to a spa. 
make your first saving goal something you truly desire, but that you think is out of your range right now because you're just bad with money. It's so true, though. Once you start saving, it becomes easier and easier. And it actually is kind of fun. Yeah, so I, I don't differentiate between good habits and bad habits. It's just habits. What you repeat becomes the highway of your brain. Mm-hmm. Any behavior you repeat becomes the highway. And stuff you're not used to doing yet or things that you stop doing, they're sort of like either it's just forest or it's this like path, but you're getting hit by branches every time you walk there, so you just don't want to do it. So there's no point in, in saying bad habits. We need to stop this bad habits. You should stop your bad shopping spending habits. It's just saying, well, whatever I repeat becomes a habit. And that's natural. That's how the brain works. Thank you, brain, because otherwise I would be completely anxious and overwhelmed just trying to get to the grocery store today. So that's a good thing. And I'm just going to gradually change that habit into something that serves my long-term goals. So what are the top three things to keep in mind for ADHDers when they're trying to master money? There's nothing wrong with you. That's the first and most important thing. And it's a very strange thing to say to people, there's nothing wrong with you. So why is it that every time I say that, that's when people start crying? And the worse they feel they are with money, the more they cry when I say this. Sometimes I will spend a first whole hour talking to someone about their debt and just getting to the number. Like, what is the number? Because money is math, which I love. And emotions, which I love. So we're going to figure it out, but I have an Excel sheet for how we're going to get rid of your debt. And I just need to know the number so that my model can do the math. But it can take a whole hour to feel worthy enough to to say that number because they're so worried I'm going to yell at them and say that, you know, ah, you shouldn't have done that. Why would you do that? That's not smart. That is bad. You shouldn't have done that. You just need to be more disciplined. And I'm not going to yell at people. Judging people is just not in my job description. But I think people judge themselves so harshly that it's very hard to make changes when you're spending all of your time and energy judging yourself. You're good enough. Wherever you are right now, that is good enough. And if you want change, if you want a different result, it can feel counterintuitive that step number one is acceptance for what is. But it is. Because when you're accepting where you're at, when that's good enough, then you can release that shame and and the worry, and you can spend that time and energy on something better than beating yourself up. Acceptance for what is now and that that is good enough is the foundation for creating more. So that's number one. And there's there's nothing wrong with you. You're not bad with money. Number two is to create a system that's made for your brain. You need an ADHD-friendly system. And it means you're going to plan based on joy and what you actually want to do. Now, some people like to put spending into like what you need and what you want. And first, you have to spend your money on what you need, and then you can spend the leftovers on what you want. If there is any. If there is any. And, and so any brain is like, if there is any. So even if you're not going into debt, even if you're sort of staying on a budget, you're not feeling good. Listen, you can stay on a budget for the rest of your life without solving your issues with money, just so you can stay on a 
diet for the rest of your life and not solve your issues with food. Mm. So it's about planning for what you want, planning from joy and giving yourself permission to spend your money exactly as you want to, and then giving yourself 30 days to figuring it out. Because I don't know what it feels for you, but I think for me and for a lot of people, money can feel like I had it and then I don't now. And I don't really know what happened. It just disappeared. And it's that awareness. So if you spend 30 days planning your money 24 hours ahead of time or the night before, and the next day you write down all of your spending that day, and then you write down your thoughts about your spending. So why did I buy that? What was the thought triggering that that purchase? Sometimes it can be trauma and it can be uh, deeper issues. I discovered the number one thought that triggered shopping for me was, I want that now. It was not very advanced. And so I could flip it quite simply by like, okay, let's find a better thought. Let's find a thought that's believable, feels true, and it's going to take me just one step closer to my goal. And that's the whole, yes, I want it, but it's not on my plan today, so I can wait until tomorrow. Hmm. So you write down, what am I thinking about these purchases? And pick up on where are you judging yourself? Because the only thing you need for change is awareness. Once you figure out your emotions and your thoughts of like, why am I doing this? Then you can change it. Your curiosity again. Exactly. But we keep trying to change to start with behavior. And that's like trying to get all of the dominoes to fall down. But you're starting with the bottom one, the one that's already underneath all of the other ones. Uh, It's pointless. We start with thoughts and emotions and emotional state and and curiosity. So if you're curious for 30 days, like, why am I spending this money? What's it giving me? What is the reward I'm getting right now? And how can I get that without impulse shopping? And then at at the end of every week, answer three questions. What have I learned this week? That's the most important one. Uh, Is there something I want to stop doing? Is there something I've identified that I don't need to do? Uh, I figured out that actually I don't need to spend $10 on breakfast every day. I could actually make a smoothie and coffee at home. Uh, I don't even save any time buying that in a coffee shop. It takes no, saves me no time, uh, no money, obviously, and it's not even better. So I could stop doing that. That was my first thing to stop doing. And then maybe there's something you want to start doing. Maybe you want to start planning your shopping the day before. Maybe you want to start a money journal. Maybe you want to start uh, impulse saving or you want to start investing. And you just allow yourself to take 30 days to build awareness. I call it like ice. We, particularly ADHDers, we mask for so long. So we mask and, and freeze and people please into this ice sculpture. And I don't want you to try and break out of that ice sculpture on day one, because then you're going to break. But what if you just allowed the ice to melt gradually over a long period of time? then all you need is awareness. That's the sun melting the ice. I love it. I love it because it's all about positive emotion. And we know that that is when we're most effective in anything. Yes. Yes. So So the third thing is make it easy. So for instance, uh, if you have, if you know that you're paid once a month, so every day, once a month, when you get your paycheck, you pay all of your bills on that day. Oh, but it might not be due for a week. We don't care. We're going to make it simple. We're going to automate as much as we can. So you automate that for everything that's not impulse spending, you pay all of your bills on the same day as you get paid. 
And you also transfer, if you want to save a specific amount every month because you're saving for something, just get that out of your checking account the same day. Do not leave money somewhere you can spend it on impulse um, if you don't want to spend it on like enjoyment. Enjoyment or, or fun, uh, your, we call it kus in a region, that's the most important part of your budget. But if you don't want to spend all of it on impulse enjoying yourself, make sure to move it out of your account as fast as possible. Uh. Automate everything. Do you help your clients do that? Yeah. So you don't need a budget app. Like You can use, I know some people like you need a budget. I don't like that. I think it's uh, confusing. I found thousands of dollars my clients lost because they made it too complicated. So you can do your budget on a napkin. You can do, uh, like I have an Excel sheet and I'm, I'm happy to share all those for free, uh, the plans and the diaries and like the money um, journal and everything. You can do that. But the point is, what comes into your account every month? Is it the same or is it different? Does it vary? For some people, it varies a lot. Like for, for um, entrepreneurs, it can vary a lot. Or maybe you're paid several times a month. So you need to know how much money is coming in. Then how much money is going out to bills that I pay every month? And you can figure that out. Just ask your bank. You're like, I have no idea how much money is coming in and I have no idea where it's going. Well, your bank knows. Just log into it and ask it. Where did my money go? Just write that down. And it doesn't need to be fancy. You can do it on any journal, any anything you want, really, just so you know, okay, this is what I have left over for spending. How do I want to spend that? How much do I want to spend on food, on um, driving, on um, like any activity I enjoy doing? How much do I want to save? It's more, it's, it's not, not so much as it's like that, that the technology of it. It's just like the intention, being, being conscious and, and intentional with how you're spending it. So I help people do that, but I want them to be able to just do it on their own really simply because it's not that hard. I think it's the first part that a lot of us would get stuck in because Mm -hmm. we don't know how much money is going out. Sometimes we don't even know how much money is coming in. And the thought of actually having to find that out and know is so stressful or we think it's so stressful, right? We think it's more stressful than actually knowing when, in fact, if we knew, we would feel better, but it's still so hard to even that first step, get that, you know, get through that first step of figuring out, okay, what is the status quo right now? Yeah. When I did this for myself, I, uh, so I used to call myself the queen of impulse shopping. I know this. I have actually been called by, this is the worst thing that happened for me money-wise is the bank called and the bank, it's a small country. So the bank was Ingrid, who my mother had known for 30 years. And she's like, we've been trying to get a hold of you. Your mortgage payment did not go through. It's like, oh, that's so weird. I don't know why. Very strange. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just felt like like inventing Anna. I sent you the wire. There must be a problem with the bank. Oh, wait, you are the bank. <laughs> so I know what that feels like. But the mm-hmm. first time I was going to go through my account and actually figure out where did the money go? That sheet of paper was such a thick pile. It took me a week to go through for just a month. And I felt overwhelmed. So you can do that. I do teach that technique. You can do that, but you don't have to. You can do it the money journal way, which is you're giving yourself 30 days to figure it out. Mm. So you figure out, ah, money came into my account this day. Today, it was this amount. Money went out of my account today. It paid this bill. I spent money on this today. I went to a coffee shop. I bought some Prosecco. I, it's Friday. I'm going to drink Prosecco after. Uh, I definitely wanted to spend money on that because allowing yourself to spend money on what you desire 
is so important. And if you give yourself 30 days to journal about it, you will figure it out. And it won't be as hard as mm. having to go through like, let me just look through 20 pages yeah. of bank statements to figure out where my money went. Oh. I think the bank took it. <laughs> I just get hives thinking about that. You know, yeah, again, yeah, you I'm spoiled. I have a bookkeeper. I have a husband who's a banker. But yeah. even with all of those fail safes, I still like all of the experiences you were just talking about. I can totally relate to it. Just it stresses me out. Yeah, and I love coffee and I love smoothies. I just don't love it $500 a month. Ah, and you don't and even know that it's $500 yeah, well, a month. So that's what happened. I was logging into my bank and I accidentally clicked this button that says, how are you spending your money? And it was like, Deli de Luca, why are you robbing me? <laughs> what is happening? So I was like about to, hey, listen, I need to file a police report. I think Deli de Luca is robbing me. This cannot be right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, this is your breakfast budget. If you're wondering how much you're spending on breakfast, that's it. Mm. And if you're wondering how much you're spending on lunch, just go to the next aisle over because that's the, it's called good bread. It's organic. That's where your lunch is at. So that's where your money is. You ate it, you drank it, and now it's in the trash. So I don't want you to have to restrict yourself. That's not the point. It's, huh, I really like coffee. I absolutely love it. Just not $500 a month. Yeah. And then to be able to get that pause because mm. if you can if you can pause for just a second that's where the choice is between impulse and response and just just ask the question do i want coffee right now is that what will give me the most value or would i rather save for my house my vacation another michael kors bag right now <laughs> i love it's it it's about maximizing joy i i just i love that it's about maximizing joy. Okay, yeah. so see, what is it about your ADHD that makes you so good at what you do? I think it's that I'm terrible at doing boring stuff. And when people tell me some things are just boring and you just have to do them, I'm like, no, that's not happening. And that's something that happened after the migraines is that I can't push like I used to. I used to be able to just push through. You can't out hard as me. So when I'm telling you there's nothing you have to do and there's nothing you should do, so what do you want to do? Mm. A lot of people misunderstand. They're like, well, I can just force myself to do things I have to do. I don't have to feel good about it in the moment. I'm like, listen, you can't out hard as me. I've already won that game, but you're playing on level five, even if you're if you're the best player of that game, it doesn't go above level five. And I can just wave and say hello from level 10. It's better up here. <laughs> Once you let go of the shame of should and the burden of should, you're so much more free to do what you want to. And when you realize that it's a choice and you're able to shut off the noise of everybody else's opinions, you can listen to that internal compass telling you what you truly want, what you truly desire. And then you can change your life. And I've seen it happen for so many people. I've seen families pay off $80,000 of saving in, in just one year. And the year before, they were in this eternal credit card loop and were denied a mortgage. The year after, they bought their dream house. So they changed their life in a year. And I have so many examples of this. And it, it starts with like, there's nothing wrong with you. So if you make a plan from joy and curiosity, then what happens? And this is not just some wooey coaching BS. I'm an economist and a very good one. So we just call it optimization, right? Like how does the consumer optimize their utility? 
So my business is called Happy Pengar, Happy Money, because happy, yay. It could have been called Optimal Utility Money, but that's not as fun. Well, and again, it's simple, you know, which is another simple, one of your um, C-visms, right? Yeah. It has to yeah. be happy. It has to, well, I guess happy is fun. When we're happy, we're usually having fun. <laughs> yeah. And happy is like, you can feel the energy of it. It's like, it's peppy. It's uh, It's got a little bit of AGHD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your business is called Happy, did you say Penga? Yeah, Penga. So it's Penga. money in a region. Because I'm bilingual and my my mind works in both languages as easily. So I could have called it um, Gleda, which would have been the Norwegian word, like joy or, or happiness. But happy is more me. Happy has more of a like spirit to it. It's, it feels like me. It's it's what I most identify with. Yeah. So me it's too. happy panga, which is happy money. I love it. So do you have a number one ADHD workaround? Create a bubble. Create the bubble that works for you because your number one challenge is going to be overwhelm. Uh, we have executive dysfunction. That's, that's what uh, sets us back. And the closer you are to overwhelm and the more often you end up being stuck in overwhelm, the more likely it is that the system is going to shut down completely. So if you're thinking I'm struggling with procrastination, no, you're overwhelmed. You're either scared or you don't know how to do it, or it's not been separated into enough small steps that you can see how to do it. So just like what serves my brain? How do I feel that I work optimally? Not because you need to be better, but because you get to create surroundings that work for you. And whatever you do, please follow the joy. Follow the dopamine. I love it. So, Steve, are you working on something uh, that you want to tell us about? Yes. So my goal with this podcast was I wanted people to be able to listen to it and then to hack their brain and to just listen to it on repeat. And then it will change like osmosis. It just changes on its own. And I know that ADHDers are like, no, 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 wait, listen, I, I, you talked about a lot of other stuff and I want to do this and, and I need more. So as a thank you to you and this podcast, I want to create a 30-day challenge for ADHD friendly money management so that you can actually follow along with the money journal. And you will get a new video and text and uh, audio to go along with the with the tools, with the templates. And then you can do 30 days, a dollar a day. So for $30, $1 a day, you're going to change your money forever. You're going to change. You're actually going to hack your brain to money magic with an ADHD friendly methodology. So I'm creating that to say thank you to this podcast. So thank you. So does that include the journal, the plan, the diary, all of what you've been talking about? Yes. Everything you need for the first 30 days. And where do they find it? So happypenga.no slash English. So we're going to put that in the show notes because it's going to be <laughs> hard to hard to uh, remember, but just happypenga.no slash English and you will find everything you need there. Okay. So it's happy penga, which is P-E-N-G-E. And an R. So P um, for, um, oh, this is going to be fun. You know, when you're trying to spell a word and you just cannot remember sensible words for. <laughs> to well, especially it. since English is not your first language, even though it sounds like it is. Uh, yeah. So P as in perfect, E as in energy, N as in neurodivergent. Uh, G as in gorgeous, E as in energetic, and R as in raw.
English. Yeah, so happypenya.no slash English. Okay, dot. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> We're going to have this in the show notes, but I know yeah. there are people who are never going to get to the show notes. So I know. So after Penger, there's something else? Dot N-O. So N-O is for Norway because I'm based in Norway. Dot N-O. And then slash English? Yes. Okay, so it's going to be so sorry, you all. It's going to be happypenger.no forward slash English. Did I get yes. it right? Yes. Ah, finally. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for spending time with us here today. You are just a delight, and I thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful. And Listen, guys, if the only thing you do is try out a 30-day money journal where you plan your money the day before and then write down how you spent your money and you look at it with awareness and curiosity for just 30 days, you will change your relationship with money forever. And how you do one thing is how you do everything. So So those results will move into every other area of your life because there's nothing wrong with you. I completely agree. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Steve, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.